Hello, and welcome to the Take Us Directed podcast. I'm Nellie Bristol, Senior Fellow with the CSIS Global Health Policy Center. Providing services equitably requires global health practitioners to have accurate, detailed data on populations they are trying to reach. Health status and access to care vary drastically, not only between countries, but among populations within them. Vaccine coverage rates make the case. While national statistics may show immunization coverage at a fairly high rate, at a more local level, certain populations or communities might have little or no access to the proven disease reduction tool. Recently, more data is being focused on improving not only national-level vaccine coverage data, but localized data that can show specifically who is receiving which immunizations. We have with us today two experts who are at the forefront of this evolution. John Moser is a fellow in pediatric infectious diseases at Seattle Children's Hospital and the University of Washington. He works with the Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation on high-resolution spatial and temporal modeling of vaccine coverage. Lori Werner is the Global Director for PATH's Better Immunization Data, or BID, initiative, which focuses on improving immunization data collection, quality, and use for better decision-making in African countries. Lori, let's start with you. Can you describe the work you're doing with the BID initiative and the impact you hope it will have on vaccine coverage in developing countries? Yes, thanks for having us, Nelly. Um, so the Better Immunization Data Initiative really comes out of the idea of how can we help countries improve their data, the collection of it, the quality of the data, and then how they use that data decision-making and how they deliver immunization services with the premise that as they improve services, therefore they'll improve coverage. Um, so we began working with Sub-Saharan African countries and specifically have partnered with the governments of Tanzania and Zambia to look at first, what challenges were they facing with their data to be able to have the information they need to plan their services? Um, the challenges, you know, they currently, there are big paper forms, these giant register books where every child's name is written on a teeny line and then the columns across the page are the vaccines that they would be receiving. So every time a child comes in, the health worker has to find them in the book and they've got 100 kids lined up and they don't always take the time to find the child. So they might add them into another line, et cetera. And at the end of the day, the end of the week, the end of the month, they have to tally all those up, put them in a paper report, send it on. And there's a lot of room for error. And this is the data that's getting aggregated up to the national levels and even sometimes global levels to then be making policy decisions and resource allocation decisions around. So we um, worked with them to develop both countries to develop a suite of interventions to address those challenges around collecting the data, the complex forms, and how do you actually track a child through their immunization um, schedule. And what we're using, the main thing we're using is an electronic immunization registry. It's an electronic information system that you register a child into, and then it tracks them throughout the history of their immunization schedule. They have a unique ID, so they can be identified wherever they go. Um, and that gives the health worker and the health system information they need to know where do they need vaccines to be when the right the kids are coming to get immunized, which children are not coming back and they need to be followed up on because there's contact information for the caregiver. It provides them the tools to be able to actually do their jobs more easily and better. Um, and so that's, that's how we're getting at some of improving this coverage, increasing the efficiency and the effectiveness of how services are delivered um, and creating this culture of how do you have the right data and then use that data in your planning, your resource allocation, um, et cetera. 
What are some of the challenges to having an electronic system versus a paper system in low-resource settings? Well, there's some of the ones you might imagine, such as electricity. So, you know, because we're using Android devices, um, it is an offline system because one of the other challenges is around connectivity. How does a facility in a very rural area send their data to the main database? Um, so they do need some sort of connection at some point. The system works offline, and they just need to connect you know, once a week, once a month. And so they may climb up the hill to the best, you know, cell coverage, these mobile data, or drive into town when they're picking up their stock and sync the system. We're also using solar chargers for that electricity. If they don't have, for the charging of the device, if they don't have electricity in their facility. And and more and more, actually, the connectivity is getting better and better. Those pockets that don't have a internet uh, mobile network or 3G network is getting smaller and smaller by the day, which was really allowing governments to say, you know, we want to do this. We want to digitize our data because we can get it more in real time and more accurate to be able to make better decisions around how we deliver services. Is the device they're using generally a phone or is it a tablet or is it a... We're using mostly tablets, but a lot of um, programs and projects are using phones because especially with a simple smartphone or device, you can you can actually do a lot. Um, and then they... And it's much more affordable than it used to be. And, and, and Android devices in particular are very versatile and, and very common. Okay. Um, John... IHME is well known in the global health community and beyond for its rigorous analysis and awe-inspiring data visualizations of a variety of global health problems. Can you tell us about your latest initiative to map vaccine coverage? Uh, Sure, Nellie, and thanks for having me on the podcast. So our initiative is motivated by something you've already mentioned, which is this idea that um, national estimates alone can really hide important disparities in health outcomes and access to key services like immunization within a country. Uh, We think that when decision makers have access to estimates that can give them a better picture of what's going on inside their own country, they can make better decisions about how to allocate resources. So for vaccine coverage, the quality of the subnational data used to make these decisions is really variable from country to country because of the challenges that Laurie's mentioned. I think there are really two equally important strategies to try to deal with this information gap. And so one, obviously, is to work hard to improve the quality of this data over time. And another is to try to use the data that we do have available from administrative data and surveys and other sources to try to make the best estimate that we can of vaccine coverage at the local level at this time. So that's what we're trying to do with this initiative. Uh, Essentially, we take vaccine coverage data and we match it with information about where that data was collected. We then use a set of covariates and patterns across space and time and a computational modeling framework to develop high-resolution estimates of vaccine coverage. And so when I say high-resolution, I mean that we produce maps of vaccine coverage that show coverage estimates for each 5 by 5 kilometer area within a given country or even within a given continent. We can then take these local estimates and add them up to produce estimates for districts or provinces as well, since that's the level at which policy often happens. So initially, we produced some preliminary estimates for DTP, the diphtheria tetanus pertussis vaccine, in 52 countries in Africa. And now, with the support of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, we're expanding this work to include seven vaccines across more than 100 countries. Our hope is really that we can use these maps to uh, be an additional tool for global health practitioners so they can target resources and assess how well their programs are working. And we think that these estimates can identify areas with persistently low coverage to target resources or 
you know, for instance, those that have made really great progress over time to try to learn lessons from those places and apply them to places where coverage is still low. We can also use these estimates to try to identify some areas where we're really uncertain about vaccine coverage. For instance, if data isn't available or the available data is conflicting. So they could be used also to help prioritize some data gathering efforts. So our goal really is to provide the best estimate possible at the local level, but also to identify places where more information is needed. Are the countries themselves able to use this data as well, or is it who, who is using your maps? Yeah, so at the moment we've produced some preliminary estimates. We haven't had them um, published or publicly available yet, but over the course of the next year we'll be starting to make these maps publicly available for countries, for um, other global health practitioners in non-governmental organizations, for instance, to use to help guide their decisions. Can you give some examples of countries where national coverage rates mask inequities and in immunizations? Sure. Um, so we've, in our preliminary work in Africa, we found that many of the countries with the highest geographic inequities in vaccine coverage are also those same countries that overall have very low national coverage. So I think this really underscores the importance of these local estimates. They can help both to improve equity, help to raise the overall level of coverage within a country by identifying some of these cold spots of vaccine coverage. We estimate um, for the 52 countries that we've looked at that DTP3 coverage, so coverage with the third dose of the diphtheria, tetanus, pertussis vaccine, varies by more than 25 percentage points in more than half of those countries. And that could be the difference, for instance, between 50% coverage and 75% coverage in a different district. Specifically, we see um, big gaps in coverage geographically in Ethiopia. We see that there have been large gains across time in Western Ethiopia, but there are still really persistent urban-rural disparities especially if you compare some of the larger cities to some of the pastoralist areas in the north. Nigeria also has really big gaps. Um, there's a very large north-south gradient in Nigeria with some of the lowest coverage in Africa um, estimated across northern Nigeria in areas affected by conflict with Boko Haram, for instance. We see similarly large disparities in areas um, of Chad and Somalia. And then interestingly, um, we also see some pretty large geogra geographic inequities in some countries like Angola that are facing transition out of Gavi support. And so they've been, um, vaccine delivery in Angola has been supported by Gavi for a number of years. They're starting the process of transitioning to, to independence. I think as we start to hit these decision points, um, local estimates can really highlight some of the gaps in coverage for different areas in the country and highlight the challenges that await um, in, in these times of really important policy decisions. Right, and Gavi is a, a multinational organization that, a multilateral organization, I guess would be the right term, that, um, that funds vaccines for the lowest income countries. Yeah, that is, that's correct. And then countries, as they, um, they begin to transition out of Gavi support, depending on sort of what their vaccine coverage situation is, but then also what their um, development status is over time. And it sounds like most of the disparities are pretty country specific, but it, can you make any generalities about um, which populations seem to be not getting the vaccines they should be getting? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, at least for our estimates, it's important to keep in mind that we really are only looking at geographic disparities in immunization. So we don't capture other underlying sources of differences in immunization coverage that could exist within, you know, one of our five by five kilometer areas. So, for instance, if you think about a, a large city, there can be tremendous 
differences, um, sometimes even from block to block in terms of development status and access to immunizations. So we don't capture that in our estimates. Um, we also don't always capture really hard to reach populations. And I think this is sort of a, a universal problem, but if you have populations, for instance, that are immigrants, refugees, populations that for other reasons are um, marginalized and are difficult to collect data from, and those populations are also the populations that have difficulty getting access to vaccines, then you're still unable to capture those in the estimates. And so that's a limitation of, of I think, any estimates of vaccine coverage. If you can't count somebody, um, then it's difficult to know what the coverage is. But with all of that said, I think we do see some um, patterns of low immunization in rural areas, which I don't think is tremendously surprising, like I mentioned in some of the pastoralist regions of northern Ethiopia, for instance. And then we see large areas of very low coverage that extend across some national boundaries um, in areas of conflict across Africa. And I think sort of northern Nigeria, the Lake Chad region is a, a great example of that, or um, parts of Somalia, the Ogaden region of Ethiopia. And that just it really highlights... Um, you know, suggest to us that the the impact of conflict on an immunization, immunization delivery system is pretty profound, which I don't think is surprising, but these maps show it in a sort of stark new light. Hmm, interesting. And Laurie, this feeds into my next question. Can you talk about some of the technical challenges to your work, to collecting this data? Sure, yeah. I, I would like to just even add on, though, to what we were just discussing, that um, one of the, the key challenges to think through, and this gets to the technical challenges, too, is who are the children, in the case of immunizations, that we that are not getting into the system at all? And I think that's what you know John was mentioning, is that they're not seeing it at this aggregate data level, but we also can miss them with the like point of care. They're never coming to the health system. And so that's one thing that you know we're getting, you know, children who are born in facilities, but not necessarily all the children that are born at home. And so how can you get those children into whatever data source and data collection? So one thing we're doing around that is we're partnering with UNICEF in Tanzania, where they have developed an, an app for a very simple phone, not even a smartphone, where the community health worker, and these are health workers who are based in the communities, who know all the neighbors and everything, that so that they can, you know, quote, register a child when they're born, and that sends an SMS to the health facility. So what we're going to do is actually have a B where it sends a message to the registry, the electronic system, and it basically creates a placeholder record for this child has been born and that tells the facility like we need to there was a baby boy born two weeks ago we haven't seen them we should follow up on that with that community health worker so that's one of the challenges how do you actually get all of the children um, monitored and recognized in the health system because immunization rates over the past several decades have really improved and they've you know they've gone up to 75 80 percent when you look aggregate but they're stagnating. And the question is, you know, the, that's one out of five children are not getting these life-saving vaccines. Who are they? Where are they? And I think what we're talking about is a couple different ways of getting them. And ironic, you know, unfortunately, they're not evenly distributed across the globe. They're actually in pockets. And where are those pockets? So that the country governments, the subnational governments, and global agencies can address that together and allocate resources appropriately. So, John, do you have, um, I wondered if you can walk us through the steps that you need to go through to gather the data that for your maps. Um, is it similar to what Lori's talking about, or how, how does your work connect? Absolutely. Yeah, I think um, 
There's an old axiom in, in this modeling community that models are only as good as the data that informs them. And I think that's really true for our models. And so all of these initiatives to try to capture populations that really have been previously underrepresented in data are tremendously important. So in our model, we, we use two main types of data. First, we use right now national level administrative data, which is data that countries report to the WHO and UNICEF every year about vaccine coverage. And to account for some of the difficulties in getting high quality administrative data, we apply a bias correction. So we compare it to surveys that are conducted in the same year. And if a country tends to have consistently higher or lower reports of coverage than what the surveys suggest, then we correct the administrative data statistically to account for that. But really, most of our model is fed by data from surveys, which is big survey series like the Demographics and Health Survey or uh, UNICEF's Multiple Indicator Cluster Surveys. And it's, this data really is it's part of a massive effort by the global health community. Uh, essentially, these organizations will send field staff out to different locations and conduct interviews with household members about a variety of topics, including immunization status. And these surveys can often take several hours to complete, so the field uh, worker will record vaccine histories as part of this survey. So they'll look and find a vaccine card if there's one available, and if not, then they'll ask targeted questions to the parents to try to tease out which vaccines a child has obtained. So in our current models alone, we include survey data from more than 880,000 children across 180 uh, different surveys. And the data that we're including, it just really represents a heroic amount of work by the global health community from the families who took the time to be interviewed, from the field staff who went out to do the interviews. We then, once we have that data, we have a dedicated team here at IHME of data analysts and data specialists who constantly monitor and search for new data about vaccine coverage as it's released. They'll process this data as it comes in with a series of quality checks. They make sure that it's consistent with other data sources that we have available. And much of this process really builds on the relationships and experience that IHME has built up over time from working on the Global Burden of Disease study and some other similar projects. And then the next step is that we'll take this survey data and we match it to the locations where uh, the data was collected. In early rounds of these surveys, so in the early 2000s, for example, um, the location is usually recorded as an administrative level. So they'll say that this interview took place in a certain district or a certain province. But in more recent years, there's been a movement to have uh, GPS coordinates obtained at the time of interview, which is really, really helpful for determining these local patterns of um, health indicators like vaccine coverage. They obtain GPS coordinates and they'll usually move it by randomly in a couple, uh, in a given direction by a couple kilometers to help protect families' privacy. And then that's what we get and we incorporate into our models. So it's really a huge task to collect this data, but it's also one that's only possible because of the work of countries and these survey organizations that'll fund and conduct these large surveys and make the data available to us and to the rest of the global health community. Hmm. That's interesting. And maybe this is for both of you, but Lori, maybe you can start that some countries are not so eager to have their health data shared with the rest of the world, um, if, especially if it might make them look bad. So what are some of the political considerations in the work that you're doing? Yeah, that's a really great point. When we began this work, both with Tanzania and Zambia, and, and we we actually you know talked to uh, many countries as we were starting, that was a big question of, as we improve the quality, as you improve the quality of your data, your coverage rates may go down because that 
that might just be part of the picture. And how do you feel about that? And and also, you know, this is work is also funded by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, talking with them as they talk with global stakeholders. Are we going to penalize these countries? You know, often they are funding is contingent upon their reporting and their coverage rates, et cetera. And so just raising awareness around that, that I think on the global stage, quality of data and then the use of that data is becoming such a big issue that I think there is more and more awareness. Um, and in, in our case, both Tanzania and Zambia felt that the, it was worth it to try, you know, and, and see, let's improve our data and then see what happens. Um, the you know the key is that coverage is you know the it's calculated based upon a denominator that is usually census data of some sort or or something and so that's another level of policy decision the government needs to make and so neither government has chosen to change their official denominator yet based upon it and that will be that will really be telling but we're doing analysis of what is the registry information showing us as far as coverage with their official coverage numbers and that that will be that will be very interesting when that comes out mm, yeah, yeah. What about you, John? Yeah, I think um, I agree with all of that. I think you know, vaccine coverage has historically been a very visible health indicator, and there are all these health financing implications that are wrapped up in it. And so, um, countries certainly can be, um, you know, understandably wary about changes in vaccine coverage estimates that could cause their funding levels to shift. So, our focus at IGME is really on the science of estimation, and our belief is that estimates need to be as, as, as accurate and as unbiased as possible in order to be the most useful that they can be. We do also appreciate that they're only useful right if they're accepted and used by both governmental and non-governmental decision makers. From our standpoint, uh, engaging with stakeholders within countries really has several benefits for our models that we want to pursue while making sure that we're maintaining the independence of our estimates. For instance, engaging with stakeholders in countries could help us identify additional data sources that could be useful in making the models better. And then they can also ensure that what we're producing is actually useful to countries, that it's identifying and answering the key questions that they have to help guide their decisions. So one example of really how to achieve engagement while maintaining independence, I think, comes from IHME's experience with the Global Burden of Disease Study, where IHME has put together this large collaborator network um, with thousands of global collaborators across collaborators across the world with subject matter expertise who participate each year in looking at the estimates and then helping to iteratively improve them by identifying you know, new data sources or pointing out areas in which they might need some improvement. So our strategy as we're getting this initiative going is really to follow that example and build relationships with decision makers and governmental and non-governmental um, global health positions to be able to help navigate these considerations, all really without compromising the independence and the integrity of our estimates. And we're doing this by working, again, with our partners at the Gates Foundation uh, to convene a group to help guide us through some of these policy uses of our work with people who really have expertise in, in these political sensitivities. Well, in, in addition to the political sensitivities, do you ever get any pushback about why should you be spending money on collecting these data versus just providing the services? Um, can you make an argument for your field, <laughs> Lori? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I think because what, what we're looking at, we're actually collecting data around this too. There are a lot of efficiency reasons of why if you can have better information, you know, data becomes information that can help with planning around services. You can allocate your resources better. You can have time savings. And it, 
and that there's a there's a financial advantage there. Um, and I think ultimately, you know, data is key for service delivery and how we plan our health services anywhere in the world. And so knowing how much vaccine is needed in which place and at what time um, saves lives. So I think there's a pretty strong case for it. If we can prove the data, we can improve the service delivery and therefore save more lives. What about you, John? Absolutely. Yeah, I and, you know, I would actually argue that um, the very reason that we need better data is because we don't have unlimited development funding. I, there are finite resources, and I think in order to be good stewards of those, we really need to know where and how we, we should deploy them best. Uh, I'm reminded of, we've, we've been doing some work here at IHME um, doing local estimates for things aside from vaccine coverage, like under five mortality and education and child growth failure. And with the publication of some of our recent estimates of child growth failure, there was an op-ed that came along with it by Kofi Annan. And he wrote in that op-ed, he said, data gaps undermine our ability to target resources, develop policies, and track accountability. Without good data, we're flying blind. If you can't see it, you can't solve it. And I think that's really true. You know, I, I think, as Laurie had mentioned earlier, we've made really tremendous progress over the last couple of decades and expanding global access to immunization. And it's been a, this massive investment, an amazing life-saving global commitment. But the question facing us now is sort of how do we get vaccines to those hardest to reach children who are missed by our current system? And I'm not sure that just continuing to simply do what we've done for a long time, even though that's had so much success, will get us through that last mile. So I think that if our goal really is to achieve universal and equal access to vaccines for all children, we really need better data to help identify who's missing out and then to be able to design those more targeted solutions to reach them. Thank you for joining us for today's Take as Directed podcast episode featuring the BID Initiative's Lori Werner and IHME's John Moser. Please join us for future episodes and visit the CSIS.org Global Health Policy Center program page for our upcoming events and recent publications.